Welcome to this podcast from Christchurch London. For more information and resources, please go to ChristchurchLondon.org. Anyone conflicted over lunch? Should I eat this? <laughs> Did anyone dare ask the person in Pret? Was this sacrificed to an idol? <laughs> no, you just sort of thought you'd ignore it, and um, I hope. Uh, we do what we are told to do. <laughs> <laughs> so we ask no questions. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> okay, great. Um, is this making sense so far? Yes. I'm aware that, like, making sense doesn't mean all your questions are answered. Um, I'm not going to ask that, because clearly that's not the case. Um, But uh, but it's generally, you're getting, like, it's making sense, the process, isn't it? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, did you have a question? Yeah, very quick one. Hmm. So you've been doing it this way for a long time, right? Uh, Yeah, sort of, ish. Yeah, Yeah. more than I. Sure, maybe, yeah. yeah. (laughs) Because I've never done it this way. Yeah. Do you find that you still go through every step? Mm. Or do you get, with time, do you get quicker? Very good question. Yes, very good question. So the question is, uh, in case you didn't hear it, um, do I go through every step of this every time? Does it take as long? (laughs) Or does it get quicker? Does it get easier? So uh, I'd say a couple of things to that. And actually, Dan asked me a question as well about um, how I read the Bible. And um, so... I tend to, and so I said at the beginning that I'm basically focusing on this journey, but there's loads of other stuff we could focus on, like how you prayerfully read the Bible or meditate on the Bible or ask for the Holy Spirit to inspire you, all these sorts of things, which I've sort of not done today. But I should actually say that I don't read the Bible like this every time, um, because if I did, it would be (laughs) torturous getting through like a a quiet time in a morning or something like that. Um, uh, So if I'm... I guess I approach the Bible slightly differently according to what I... If I say what I want to get out of it, I, that sounds a bit consumeristic, but let, let me show you what I mean. So, so I, I preach, and sometimes I get a passage I'm assigned to preach, and um, so that I might approach slightly differently to um, if I'm just going through my... Someone talked about the Bible in a year sort of app. Um, if I'm doing that on a daily basis or something like that um, for my own spiritual growth, I might approach that differently to how I preach. And then there's some bits I'm like, I don't know what to do with the book of Ezekiel, so I need to approach that differently again. So if I'm preaching, I do it way more like this um, because I need to go through the whole journey of understanding a lot of the details um, and working out how to apply it and helping to apply it not just to my life but to help a church of 700 people know how to apply it to their lives, which may be different to mine. So this journey really helps me. And when I'm doing that, I might sit there with five different commentaries or six different commentaries. So hearing lots of different views, trying to weigh up, uh, is there a consensus on this? Are there different views? If so, how can I tell which is right? So I'm quite technical there. Um, Whereas if I'm just reading whatever's the next passage in my daily sort of app thing, I'm not going, okay, step one. (laughs) I'm more prayerfully or meditatively um, asking God what can what you wanted to say to me for this now of course I still care about what it originally meant and what it means to me but I won't go step one step two step three step four and I won't have five commentaries out in front of me um it's more devotional um and partly it's building up it's, it's using knowledge that I've built up over years from having studied in this particular way um but in those situations what I 
to stop it being an academic exercise, which can be my tendency, and if you are of an academic sort of bent or you have a particularly analytical mindset or approach, your tendency could be just to treat everything like a problem to solve and treat it very technically and never think about what change it makes to your life. Some people are just like, I want to know what God's saying to me, but don't care about the technical stuff, and we need a balance. And it's worth knowing what your tendency is so that you then correct it. So if I'm reading a passage and I happen to be you know, my next passage is Mark 4, whatever, and it's just because that's what I'm reading, and I read it, um, I might have questions, and I might say, oh, I need to read up about that, or I need to think about that, but by the end of it, I don't want to have stopped at just step one and say, now I understand what was being said to Mark's original audience, I need to say, what does it mean to me? So I always try and end my Bible reading by praying it back to God and being able to say, Lord God, I thank you that you said this to these people. And I know that those principles still remain today. And so I pray that you would help me to do this in my world. And so I want to marry the technical study with the more devotional prayer and those sorts of things. Um, so it looks slightly different, but I do think that this is helpful. And if I come to a passage, I'm like, man, I'm really struggling with this then I'll say, I'll go for this sort of approach because I know that these tools will help me through the journey. So, yeah. It does get quicker over time. Um, and also the more... So I am more... Um, through my study, I'm more proficient in the New Testament than the Old Testament just because that's where I spent most of my time doing my rigorous study. So if I'm in an Old Testament book, it may take me way longer and be way harder than if I'm in the New Testament because I feel like I've got loads more pre-knowledge that I've accumulated. Um, but people will be different on that. Yeah. Let's get into the Old Testament, having just said that. So, so to recap where we've gone so far, step one, what did the text mean in their world? So that's the, the, um, the process of exegesis. It's asking all those slightly torturous questions of uh, what's the repeated words, all these sorts of things, how the clauses link together, reading the sentences, reading the paragraphs, reading the book, all that sort of stuff we did in session one. Then it's about measuring the width of the river and thinking what is the timeless principle that crosses or principles that cross it, um, state it in the present tense and sort of writing that down. And then the fourth step is landing it in application. So that's where we'll get because until we've done that, we've not completed the, the journey. But I do want to take a bit of a detour um, towards the Old Testament. The reason being that it is different and the river is often wider and there is actually an extra step in the journey when you're approaching the Old Testament, which is really not a new step in itself. It's just part two of step three, if we can put it like that. So um, if you turn to the picture, the, the, I don't have page numbers on this, which would have been quite helpful, but the uh, one with the picture, most of you have got it open. Um, I've added in an extra step. So step three, A, cross the principalizing bridge. What is the theological principle in this text? But you'll see a little island added on to the river itself, um, because actually there's a a stop between the Old Testament and us, and that is the New Testament. So point 3b is to cross into the New Testament and ask, does the New Testament teaching modify or qualify this principle? If so, how? So you look at a principle, you think, oh, okay, I see that that's there in the text, in the Old Testament passage, but then I want to ask, is there anything in the New Testament that changes that principle or qualifies it or helps me to understand it in a new light? And in particular, at this point, I'm wanting to look, I suppose, at the difference that the life teaching death resurrection of Jesus makes and the fact that he has now poured out the spirit we're in the new covenant rather than the old covenant we're at a different stage of history I mean everything's changed from old testament to new testament and so I don't simply want to assume that I can go from old testament to my life bypassing Jesus because if I do I'm not a Christian <laughs> so I need to go through Jesus I need to say what does Jesus uh, what difference does Jesus make 
to this principle and the way I apply it in my life. Yeah. yeah. Mm, yeah. <laughs> yes. Ah, yeah. Which is a um, very good question. So, so actually, it's not simply a case of Old Testament and New Testament clearly divided, because you do have to ask the question: Is Jesus' teaching before his death and resurrection, which ushers in the New Covenant, is that relevant to us today, or was he writing to particular situations, particular people, or speaking to particular people? Uh, who are different from us and so um, that's a really important question to ask and so we still need to be asking the the principal question so when Jesus is talking to someone who is under the law in a way that I'm not I can't immediately assume that the application will be the same because it's just the other side of his death and resurrection yeah so the principles still apply um, and we may come to an example of that in a bit yeah well actually if you were interested we did a whole um, we didn't do it in a day, actually. We did it over 12 weeks. Um, uh, but we did a series of Theology Matters stuff on the Gospels and how particularly to read the Gospels. And we covered that a little bit in there. Um, and that's all available on the website, along with the stuff on Hebrews and the Trinity and various other things. Do check that out. <laughs> okay, literally, as some of you have just started talking to one another, I'm going to now call you back. <laughs> um, you may be uh, pleased or distressed to know that the recorder was just full, so all of my bad answer to your question has been lost <laughs> to history. Um, so now what I'm going to do is go back in and edit a perfect answer in about a week or so's time when I thought about it and go up on the podcast, which would be great. <laughs> and no one will know apart from the fact I just recorded that. Oh, man. Um, okay. <laughs> So um, uh, that was very quick, I know, but uh, just throw out some thoughts. Any contrasts or um, similarities you see between Rahab and Achan? Canaanite, Israelite. Which is which? Um, Rahab's a Canaanite. Rahab's a Canaanite uh, and Achan is an Israelite. In fact, he is from the tribe of Judah, which is like often thought to be the best of the tribes. Yeah. But then we said that Rahab gets weaved into that tribe because she's in the genealogy of did you see that in the text? No, you're cheating. You're looking forward to the New Testament already, aren't you? So. You don't have to do that. Well, yeah, you can. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> you spot the surprise of the next page, haven't you? No, no, that's, that's fine. That's good. That's good. Good thing you noticed that. So did you hear that? So actually, so when you get to the New Testament, you see the genealogy of Jesus. Rahab is in that. Achan, not so much. So, yeah. <laughs> Any other things? One was stoned and one was saved. <laughs> nice and alliteration as well so um yep yeah, great so essentially one of them dies and the other doesn't die yeah 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 great so i mean let's take this one at a time one's a woman one's a man like uh, that's it's not rocket science. I said, don't overthink it. Like that's 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 a good observation in itself, um, and particularly in a culture where often men were thought of as being higher than than, than women. Um, I think this challenges that, doesn't it? Do you say that's true? Yeah. That women are higher. The men are higher than women. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh right, the culture thing. That's <laughs> 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 not the <laughs> the response I expected. <laughs> but yes, from a cultural perspective, yes, uh, that was what people thought at the time. So, woman, man. 
Uh, one of them being respectable by virtue of being from the tribe of Judah, the other one being disrespectable by virtue of not only being a woman, but being a prostitute. Um, yep. And just to follow on from that, I mean, she was an unlikely hero because yeah. of her profession. Mm. Um, and he had the appearance of, you know, being from the best tribe, yes. all of this, and being an Israelite. Yeah. He should have been more religious, pious, but actually wasn't. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Any other... Mm. Yeah. Yep. What's more, she has no reason for believing in. <laughs> she's she's only heard of the the acts of God, and yet she believes. This guy's seen the acts of God, and yet doesn't fear God, which is yeah. Yeah. These, yeah. Mm. Yeah, that's great. So Rahab hides the spies from the king. Achan hides the loot from God and from Joshua. Rahab hides the spies on the roof. Achan hides the loot under his tent. So yeah, um, the family. Yeah, so her family and possessions survived. His family and possessions perished. In fact, further than that, like with her, the whole nation perishes, but she survives. With him, the nation prospers when he perishes. You see what I mean? The blessing of God comes back upon them as he, as he perishes. Yep. Yep. Yeah. In essence, if I were to draw all of that together, I would say that there's a contrast here in which Rahab become, effectively becomes an Israelite and lives, whereas Achan becomes like a Canaanite and dies. I mean, that sort of sums it up. It's almost like they swap places. Um, and there's kind of an irony here in that God's people are told to annihilate the enemies, but then the first two characters that we get in the book are exceptions. Um, Rahab survives and Achan is destroyed. So um, this tells me something, I mean this is bigger than just a simple observational exercise, but when, when people look at the destruction passages and immediately go, how could God allow that? Well actually it's worth then looking at what happens, because the first thing that happens is an exception, which is one of the people who's meant to get destroyed survives, and because of God's grace, and then the other person who thought of himself as being safe and didn't have to worry about it, actually he gets punished. So this tells you something about God's character um, that you don't get if you just sort of treat it on a simple, I don't like that, therefore God must be wicked. Let's go back one page. That's brilliant. So those are all exactly the kind of things that I was after. And so if we were doing uh, the, the four-step journey, or the three-and-a-half-step journey, I would say, once we'd done the exegesis, we would see that Rahab the Canaanite is contrasted with Achan the Israelite. Her faith in God saves her and her family. His disdain for God results in his destruction. If we were to measure the width of the river to cross, I think I'd say there's a pretty big gap. Um, we are under a different covenant we are no, it's no longer about the land, about getting to one particular land. Uh, we are not in the midst of holy war. So as we're looking for application for us, like 
there's quite a big gap to leap. We are not Israelites or Canaanites, and we don't have the same specific commands that Achan does. So there's quite a, a gap to get across. If I'm looking for principles to cross over, I would say probably something like this. God sees past external factors and saves people who put their faith in him, even unexpected people. God extends grace, but also judges those who trivialize him. And we might say that those are uh, accurate, timeless principles that we see in this passage. But then, of course, we need to say, well, what does the New Testament say about that? Does it affirm that? Does it caveat it in any way? And I think I'd say the New Testament reaffirms salvation by faith and not by ethnicity. And I think we see that uh, right through the New Testament. Um, God chooses the unexpected people in the New Testament, and Rahab is in Jesus' genealogy. So, um, so going forward to the New Testament, I think we see exactly the same thing affirmed and in fact heightened. Um, but we also do still see that God judges those who trivialise him. And if you were to read Acts 5, verses 1 to 11 in particular, it's the story of Ananias and Sapphira. There are certain things in that story in which people in the people of God then get judged for essentially lying to God and hiding this loot from him. So... Um, Great, if we were to go through the four-step journey, I think that's roughly where we would get. And basically, that's a very similar journey to how it would be if it was a New Testament text. It's just maybe the gap is wider, um, some of the details are more difficult. Um, and clearly, we've not answered every question about the Rahab story. But do you see how that sort of works? By analysing narrative rather than a written letter, we can still get to the same sorts of points, just in a slightly different way. Thank you for listening. For more information or for further podcasts and downloads, please visit ChristChurchLondon.org.